Welcome to the podcast that takes you back in time to rewind and relive all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. Get ready to go beyond the bell. Beyond the bell. With your host, ring announcer, Sean Beckerman. Class is in session. My old school students, WCW 101, the history of world championship wrestling rolls on here on the university known as Beyond the Bell. Tonight, Chapter 4 guides us through this special edition as Episode 4 presents the Dream Booker era of WCW as the American Dream Dusty Rhodes is put in charge. WCW enters into a dream state as Dusty Rhodes becomes the head booker of the company. Lacking direction, they look to one of their biggest draws to lead them creatively, hopefully to a better era as the previous leaders such as Jim Hurd and such as Ted Turner now owns WCW. Dusty Rhodes is leading the ship. He's the head coach in the coach cart, if that makes sense. He is running the creative input or output that we would see on WCW television. So as the dream would say, enough for this jibber-jabber. Let's dive right into it after this quick timeout. We cover the dream state, the dream era of WCW. Chapter 4, coming your way after this quick timeout. Okay, this week, Groupon members are going to save 50 to 90% on great daily deals all over town. They're going to discover new restaurants, spas, museums, famous people, helicopter rides, juggling classes, a different kind of juggling classes, concerts, yoga studios, theater, golf, lessons, more lessons, movie tickets, and a whole lot more. If your week doesn't sound quite that exciting, maybe you want to sign up for ours. Groupon.com. Welcome back to Beyond the Bell. Dusty Rhodes, very, very creative. I'd go on the verge of saying genius in this industry. Dusty's gotten one of the top two or three smartest guys in the history of this business. It's just getting the authority behind you. It wasn't Dusty's creativity. It was having the authority behind you. You know, new contracts were made, and then the line to the office... A steady line of players now because now they've got agents. they got guys that want it in our business. Guys that make people wealthy like Barry Bloom made some guys in our industry that did absolutely a zero wealth. At the end of 1990, Ole Anderson was fired as head booker of WCW after booking the promotion into losing what was reported to be $6.5 million for the entire year, despite Ole being in charge only seven months out of the year. The promotion was looking for a new booker, and surprisingly, a name out of the past was being mentioned. Things have gotten so bad at the time under Ole that Dusty Rhodes was being considered for the head booking job. Dusty's booking was, it was, you could say, a contributing factor 
to the failure of Jim Crockett promotions. Very special indeed, Jim. You're right there. Here he is. Of course, the United States champion, a legend, a dream, Dusty Rose. Dusty, all across the world from your many millions of fans, I heard a great sigh go up from them when we found out what your plans really were going to be for 1988. Well, like I said, Bobby, you know, 1988 is going to be a big deal for Dusty Rose. I've made my commitment to the wrestling fans throughout this country to defend this United States title against all comers. I've made a commitment to Nikita Koloff, my super partner, to stand in there with him on ever any occasion throughout this country and be the best at what we can be because we were doing it before. It was fashionable. Now then, it comes to mind the Midnight Express with Jim Carnett in 1988 has taken hold of Bobby Eaton, beautiful Bobby Eaton, Stan Lane, to challenge Dusty Rhodes for the United States heavyweight title. I'm fine with that, baby. That said well on me. That said well on me, Bobby Eaton. Stan Lane, Jim Cornette, and Big Blubber. Now I turn my attention to one Lazabisco. Let me tell you something, Lazabisco. You running around with something that I already had. You running around with something that I already had, I say again. And if I said it for the third time, that's a hat trick. She knows about Dusty Rhodes. Inside, outside, backwards, everything about Dusty Rhodes. Bear Windham, you in a big contest right now for that Western States title, but you throw Dusty Rhodes' name in there and say, I want to be the one to make it retire. I'm not ready to retire. I'm not ready to sit down. I'm ready for Freddie Jack, and Freddie's ready for me. Larry Zabisco, baby doll, think about one thing. Think about the American dream ending your career. Bobby Eaton, think about the American dream ending your career. Stan Lane, think about the American dream ending your career. While you're thinking about it, Dusty Rhodes, super party to Keenan Koloff, are get up for 1988, baby. All right, if fans, we'll be back. We'll have more. People were optimistic, though, because this time Dusty was not going to wrestle, so he would not be booking to make himself look good. Dusty returned from an embarrassing WWF stint. Some people say it was embarrassing, some say memorable. I'm more so of the nostalgia type of individual, as you can tell from our wonderful theme shows. So I like to look at the positive side of Dusty Rhodes' career, polka dot and all, with Sapphire feuding with the Million Dollar Man. Some didn't like the stint because of his heritage in the NWA and WCW, but some liked it because it showed the entertaining or the even more entertaining side of Dusty Rhodes. Nevertheless, after he returned to WCW after his stint in the World Wrestling Federation, Dusty was back in a non-active wrestler role. This time, he was holding the pencil. Another change took place as a disagreement between the owners of the NWA name and Ted Turner's executives caused them to separate. When Ric Flair defeated Sting for the World Heavyweight Championship on January 11th, his thank you for the Black Scorpion bailout that happened earlier, he is announced as the first World Championship Wrestling World Heavyweight Champion. The NWA still recognizes Flair as their champion as well at the time, but the two organizations officially split. Still the World Heavyweight Champion, none other than Nature Boy Ric Flair. Get a shot at this one time, boys. This is what all of them are wearing on Wall Street, Daddy, huh? Let's check this out one time. You know, Tony Schiavone, obviously, there's a lot of very intelligent people around this world that follow and watch and live day to day for professional wrestling. So I ask you, when I walk out here, there's obviously a clear-cut difference between me 
and Dusty Rhodes, for instance. Nikita Koloff, for instance, the Road Warriors, for instance. You see, you know, when I walk out here, whoo, you are looking at what we have come to know as championship material. You know what I'm telling you? When I walk out here and tell you that I'm the world champion, you know what I got to back it up? I got this. $40,000. It's mine. Got my name on it. And you know why I got it? Because I make my living stepping out of all these custom-made clothes and beating up guys like Dusty Rhodes, Nikita Koloff, Barry Windham, the Road Warriors, Brad Armstrong, Wahoo McDaniels, Ronnie Garvin. It makes no difference. The bottom line is I am the best wrestler in the world today. Now, why do you want to take a man like me and put me, come on over here, Mr. David Crockett, and put me in a bull rope chain match? Not my specialty. And I'm telling you, and I'm serving notice to you, that Tully Blanchard, another world champion, and I are fed up with all these contracts. No more bull ropes, no more chains. You got two more weeks, and that's it. But now I'm telling you that because I have amassed the wealth, because I'm a big man on Wall Street as well as the ring, no more bull ropes, no more chains. In other words, we go right back to the basics. I defend this, or I don't work for you. In other words, send a limousine to the castle if you want me to work for you again. Now, one more time. It's the time of the year when all the women around the world are thinking about Christmas. So you know what I give you? I give you a mink coat. I give you Ric Flair. And I give you the four All right, boys. Nobody says it better than the world's heavyweight champion, the world's television champion, poor little Ricky Morton's broken arm. But I tell you what, in the next few weeks, you people are going to find out what it's all about. Because I tell you what, Flair dictates the rules on this, and Tully Blanchard Enterprises dictates all the rules on the world's television championship. And you people are going to find out just exactly why in the world. Don't be wrapping us up. Don't be wrapping us up until we tell y'all. Baltimore, Philadelphia, Chicago, the four horsemen are going to tear it down. All right. Let's go. Three days after the world title change, Tom Zink loses the TV title back to Arn Anderson at a TV taping. The match isn't aired for several weeks after, and Zink continues to defend the title up until then, notably at the January 30th Clash of Champions against Bobby Eaton. Dave Meltzer ripped WCW at the time for this practice in his Wrestling Observer newsletter. Most of the clash is pretty forgettable, but is notable for Flair's title defense draw against Scott Steiner, which is the first time Scott was seen in the main event. Then in January, Dusty Rhodes proceeded to change the booking committee to a group of his friends, which consisted of Barry Windham, Grizzly Smith, Magnum TA, Kevin Sullivan, Ron West, Mike Graham, and Jody Hamilton. 
Only Kevin Sullivan was kept on the temporary team in place after Ole was released. The other members of the temporary team went back to their normal duties. Flair went to wrestling, and Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone went back to announcing solely. In 1991, Schiavone was appearing on two superstations as WCW had a show on Superstation WGN out of Chicago for a year. Tony's co-host was the living legend Larry Zabisco and legendary broadcaster Jack Brickhouse and had a small segment as well on each show. So it made it, made it interesting television, to say the least. One of the fears of Dusty taking over was his way of booking to put himself over, but most people thought since he wasn't wrestling, it shouldn't be a problem. They underestimated Dusty. He appeared on a lot of the TV shows still, with the title of Goodwill Ambassador of WCW. It was appeared underneath his name when on television. And everyone was having to mention him. Then Dusty showed up in February and the promotion had a new star. The first pay-per-view of the year was WrestleWar, which took place on February 24th. The show had a woman tag team match featuring ladies from New Japan. New Japan and WCW were planning on a big show in March over in Japan, and the ladies were sent over to help promote the show. The big story occurred during the main event, however. WrestleWar's main event was the War Games match that Dusty created several years earlier. You could say negative things from Dusty from a booking standpoint. You can say Dusty was self-serving, had terrible ideas, was not creative when in came into creating new stars or wanted to promote his friends or buddies, but Dusty knew how to create innovative matches. From lockdown, most recently in TNA, Impact Wrestling, which we see to this day, which some people say it's overkill with too many steel cage matches, I like the idea as it's different to Starcade to the War Games, which I wish was brought back to this day by WWE. So Dusty Rose created the War Games. The match beyond. It's an ominous sight from a distance. Cold steel welded together to house the most dangerous match in wrestling history. This is a brutal environment where once you enter, you never come out the same. One man from each team starts the war. The battle begins with a grueling five-minute period. Then, the all-important coin toss determines which team has the first advantage. Each team alternates men in two-minute intervals until all the combatants fill the cage. Now, let the war games begin. 1991. How dangerous is this environment? Brian Pillman was hospitalized after his body was bounced off of the cage and driven into the mat from the impact of two devastating power bombs. 1992 was a nasty scene. Larry Zabisco swung a loose turnbuckle to injure Bobby Eaton, a member of his own team. Sting capitalized on this unfortunate miscue. Eaton would soon surrender to his dislocated shoulder. In 1994, Arn Anderson was the focal point. Dusty Rhodes returned to avenge his family name. Colonel Parker had to enter the cage and was quickly introduced to the pain and agony of war. 1995, Hulk Hogan formed the Hulkamaniacs. The Dungeon of Doom would be no contest for this caliber of artillery. Hogan used guerrilla warfare to gain the victory. This match would forever change wrestling history when the largest athlete made his debut, 
the giant has Hulk Hogan! And Hulk Hogan felt his raw, unrefined power. 1996. WCW was led to believe that the franchise had jumped to the other side when an imposter attacked Lex Luger in the pouring rain. It wasn't me, Lex! I can't believe you, and I don't, don't, don't. The cards were stacked in the NWO's favor. Emotions ran high when the bogus sting took control of this conflict and quickly dashed WCW's hopes of defeating the NWO. The fans were shocked again as the real Sting showed up to swing momentum back to WCW. He said it all by himself, but they didn't trust him. He was proving a point. The disbelief of best friend Lex Luger would forever change Sting, forcing him away from the ring for a long time. Lex Luger would be the victim of the NWO. 1997. Arn Anderson, a veteran of many war games, would reappear, this time handing the baton to Kurt Hennig. I'll give you my spot. It would be a privilege. The NWO would use this to undermine WCW once again. <laughs> Kurt Hennig played again. the all-important role in this charade. He's got handcuffs! He's got handcuffs! And what's he doing? We all fell for it! Every one of us! Ric Flair, the leader of the Horsemen, was singled out and tortured by this new faction in professional wrestling. The NWO would perpetrate the most graphic, violent act to this date in the war games. Oh, God! Oh, God! Slammed his, his head in The match where two rivals or two rivaling organizations or groups or factions were able to battle it out to see who would win the war. The battle for supremacy. The participants were the Horsemen, Flair, Wyndham, Vicious, and Zabisco, subbing in for an injured Arn Anderson against Sting, Brian Pillman, and the Steiner Brothers. During the planned finish, Sid Vicious forgets about the enclosed cage during the powerbomb of Brian Pillman. Brian Pillman's feet hit the top of the cage, and he doesn't rotate enough, landing on the back of his head and his shoulders. This was scary enough to watch on television, let alone be the one to be powerbombed on the back of your head. Especially when I was there live to see Draws get powerbombed by D'Lo in very similar fashion. Brian Pillman was so lucky to have come through and survived that horrific looking maneuver. Right after that was done, Vicious then picks him up and delivers another one. Not thinking maybe I should give this guy a rest. I almost killed him. After the show ended, it was reported that Pillman was injured during the first powerbomb. Shocking, huh? And doesn't even remember the second one. He is out for several weeks with head, neck, and shoulder injuries. So he survived and wasn't paralyzed, but he did suffer some repercussions. But he was still able to walk out and eventually overcome that horrific powerbomb. But Pillman was lucky he wasn't killed in that very move. Brian's real-life injury could have been a money-making storyline upon his return, though, when you really look at it. Like Bruno Sammartino's broken neck during a match with Stan Hansen in the 70s. But Dusty squanders the opportunity and does nothing with it. I won't be surprised if it was something similar to what you'd see in today, especially with Impact Wrestling having the angle with Garrett Bischoff. I don't want to get into it any further because I don't want to waste your time talking about horrible present-day wrestling. We're here to talk about good, 
great and horrible nostalgia wrestling. WCW ones up their decision to have Tom Zink defend the TV title after losing the belt by having the Freebirds win the tag team titles from Doom at WrestleWar as well. However, they had already lost the title six days earlier to the Steiners at a TV taping, TV taping that was aired in March. Yes, fans, you've heard it correctly. The Freebirds lost the titles before they ever won them. Once again, WCW is heavily criticized for this practice of not recognizing title switches until they appear on air. WWE's done a decent job in most recent years where we know SmackDown's taped on Tuesdays, and sometimes they'll promote it on WWE.com when a major title change happens at a SmackDown taped event. But when they talk about it, they'll say, you know, three days ago on Raw, or they won't say last night on Raw, They'll still talk about it in present terms of it being a Friday night or Thursday night back when SmackDown debuted. The March show in Japan has a bit of controversy as well as Ric Flair is pinned by Tatsumi Fujinami for the title. Flair was thrown over the top rope during the match so WCW doesn't acknowledge the switch. That was the way to get out of it. However, the NWA does recognize the title change. It basically allows both promotions to claim they have the world champion in order to to increase the profits at a rematch. A way to separate the champions. Flair was in WCW, Fujinami in the NWA, but still have credible champions represent each company. Dusty's time in the WWF shows as WCW is filled with gimmicks this year. Unfortunately, most of Dusty's ideas were not very good, like I said earlier. Veteran Matt Bond is given a lumberjack persona in the name of Big Josh, as no one would ever know who he was. I remember having the Big Josh small action figure when WCW distributed those smaller figures to counterpart the new Hasbro figures that countered the LGN WWF figures. I remember holding that Big Josh figure with the thing came with that little 2x4 or that lumberjack axe thing and had that wool hat and lumberjack outfit. Ugh, terrible. An obese wrestler, wrestler is given the name PN News, a rapper who could only repeat the same lines over and over. Maybe Brodus Clay is the modern-day PN News meets The Godfather meets Flash Funk. A muscular rookie is given a $25,000 music video and told he was now heavy metal Van Hammer. Despite the fact he never plays the guitar, he carries because he doesn't know how to. Billy Jack Haynes is put under a mask and called Black Blood. And then there was Todd Champion and Firebreaker Chip, who cannot forget them, on WCW Saturday Nights. The Patriots, who were announced as coming from WCW Special Forces. Yes, Firebreaker Chip. Wherever that is, WCW Special Forces produced one of the most embarrassing tag teams of all time. Or corny, should I say. Brad Armstrong is put under a hood to become the masked Freebird, like we discussed earlier on a Beyond the Bell episode, known as Fantasia. Quickly changed to Bad Street because of the Disney movie, like we said. But the worst wasn't completely Dusty's fault, as like Robocop the year before, it was forced on to WCW by Turner executives. At the May pay-per-view, Super Brawl, fans in attendance were quote-unquote treated to the debut of a new wrestler. Treated can be used in many different terms, huh, wrestling fans? They were treated to a wrestler, a brand new wrestler, that was inspired 
by a classic movie now owned by the parent company of WCW at the time. Kevin Nash comes out as Oz, who's accompanied by Kevin Sullivan in a wizard getup. You heard me correct, wrestling fans. Oz has arrived in WCW. Introducing first, ladies and gentlemen, he stands seven feet. He weighs 325 pounds. And he will be accompanied with the great wizard. Ladies and gentlemen, soon to be appearing is Seven feet, 325 pounds. And as I mentioned, we have not seen a great deal of this individual, but we can tell you one thing. Tony, he is a big, big human being. And the great wizard, there he comes, they make quite a unique pair. It's going to be an interesting challenge for Ron Simmons because Ron Simmons is a power-type wrestler, and he is going to go into what is the apparent strength of Oz if he wrestles him power style. Oz in our previous two appearances that we have seen him has easily manhandled both his opponents. But in all fairness, those opponents were not in the league of Ron Simmons. Big individual. And the limited uh, opportunity that we have seen Oz compete. Notice he's a very agile man for someone his size. He's not a big plotting super heavyweight. He's got good agility. And obviously when he disrobes, you're going to see that the man is huge and obviously very, very strong. You know, they say you can tell a great athlete and a confident athlete just by the way he walks. And that was a confident strut we've seen in the ring. The introduction even has actors dressed as Dorothy, the Tin Man, and the Scarecrow. And let's not forget about the Lion. Other than that, the show has some decent action. Notably, Flair retaking the NWA World Heavyweight title from Fujinami, the Freebirds and the Southern Boys, Windham against Pillman in a taped fist match, Bobby Eaton wins the TV title from Arn Anderson in what is called one of WCW's best matches of the year. The Steiner brothers wrestled Sting and Lex Luger. This match ends with Sting getting pinned after pushing Luger out of the way of a Russian sickle with a chain by Nikita Koloff. The feud between Sting and Nikita goes on for several months until Nikita leaves in August. This pay-per-view is also known as Diamond Dallas Page majorly screwed up the ending of a live promo that went badly with let's get the blank out of here thinking he was off camera so DDP made this pay-per-view popular for different reasons at the time as well they hadn't gone back to the ring when that happened and it was heard over the airwaves Dusty gets in hot water with the higher ups but he managed to keep DDP's job and DDP was lucky to have his job because he became much more popular as the 90s rolled on. From February to April, fans are treated to a feud over the TV title between Arn Anderson, Tom Zink, Bobby Eaton, and Terrence Taylor, the Taylor-made man. 
who was the first member of the York Foundation. The feud ends when newcomer stunning Steve Austin wins the belt on June 3rd. The York Foundation, led by Alexandra York, who was Terry Boatwright in the WWF, we all know as Terry Runnels, Marlena. The York Foundation was created because of the departure of Mike Rotundo, which was Michael Wall Street, but the group is damaged when, instead of bringing in rumored Bobby and, and Tom Zink, Ricky Morton and Tommy Rich are put in instead. Fans were more interested in Eaton and Zink because of the TV title matches. Rich and Morton are turned heel along with Taylor to clear the way for Dustin Rhodes' run as top face. I loved the battles for the television title back then because it was exciting television. You know, it was similar to what you saw in the late 90s when Nitro kicked off with the Cruiserweight Championship. And they kind of reinvigorated that as well with the TV title with Booker T as TV champion, which we'll get into in future chapters. But what I first remember of the television title was this great band of superstars contending on Anderson for the championship. Like we said, you had Tom Zink, Bobby Eaton, producing some great matches. You know, Then you add in stunning Steve Austin to the mix for the television title. You were excited, was this superstar going to win the championship under 10 minutes? Can the champion hold on? And you can build up to this championship match at the end of a show. You don't need to have a world title match shown every week. Or even every month. Make it seem more important. Those minor championships or quote-unquote smaller championships can be more valuable because you can have those champions defend them at the end of your regularly scheduled shows or your weekly telecasts. And the TV title was important at the time and it was important enough to want to wait till the end of the show to see if the champion can hold on. And that's what's missing in today's wrestling, the value of a championship title. And the TV title had that prestige. You were champion because you were that good and you had defend had to defend it so frequently, it held a lot more prestige than some other titles. The world champion would defend maybe every month, every couple months, every big show. Ric Flair would travel across the country to defend the title. Sure, your opponents were much greater as they were the top contender for the world title, the best in the world besides the world champion, but the TV champion was also known as the workhorse champion. Kind of like how the Intercontinental title was known in the late 80s to early 90s, the workhorse title. In order to put on a top match each and every week, you had under 10 minutes to either beat your your opponent or survive and make it entertaining for your TV audience. Plus, you knew how long the match would be when it came down to the main event. Could he hold on? That is what is missing, and I thought TNA was going to bring that back with the television title when AJ Styles was awarded the television champion when he joined Fortune, and then the whole Immortal thing came up, and the TV title's still there, but even knows it exists in TNA. I kind of like how Ring of Honor brought back the TV title and ha- have their time limit associated with it, but still, I miss those days from WCW where you can defend a TV title in a prestigious manner. From February to April, fans are treated to a feud over the TV title between Arn Anderson, Tom Zink, Bobby Eaton, and Terrence Taylor that was known as one of the best collection of feuds in WCW up until that point. You had the talent to do so. And that's why WCW was separating themselves from the WWE or WWF as the true wrestling fans promotion. Now, as we stated, the York Foundation was created 
to clear the way for Dustin Rhodes run as a top face with Dusty in charge, but to help things along, Pillman, which caused a potential problem for Dusty's plans for Dustin, is pinned in a loser leaves town tag match at the Clash of Champions in June. Also, at the Knoxville USA Clash, the Oz experiment continues with his win over Johnny Rich. The IWGP tag team titles are defended on the show as the Steiners retain over Masahiro Chono and Hiro Hayes. The debuting Diamond Stud, which was Scott Hall, pins Tommy Rich. Stud's manager at the time was Diamond Dallas Page, who created the gimmick for Scott Hall. Lex Luger retains the U.S. title over the Great Muda, and in his only main event ever, Bobby Eaton wrestles and loses to Nature Boy Ric Flair in a two-out-of-three-falls match for the World Heavyweight title. Also, during an attack angle by the Hardline Protection Agency, before the APA, combination of Dick Slater and Dick Murdoch, Scott Steiner gets a torn bicep, knocking him out of action for several months. The Steiners were the hottest team in wrestling at the time and adds to WCW's woes. After this, Pillman is put under a mask as the Yellow Dog, an old Barry Windham gimmick from the early 80s. Yes, the Yellow Dog returned. It doesn't make sense to use someone as popular as Pillman this way, but it appears that Dusty is more concerned with getting Dustin over than anything else, as we thought viewing as fans. He had a skilled performer in Brian Pillman, but they were more concerned over pushing the new American dream, Dustin Rhodes. Dusty was reported to have informed Dustin's opponents, or told, you could say, his opponents to make him look good as the announcers, including the recently hired Eric Bischoff, were told to hype Dustin constantly. Dustin was a decent wrestler against the right opponent, but he was not ready for that type of push yet in his career. Dustin turned out to be an unbelievable performer, I think a very underrated performer, especially now as Goldust. Dustin was on every pay-per-view and never jobbed. He is even booked to win tag matches against Arn Anderson and Taylor or the Freebirds after his partner Ricky Morton walks out, leaving him in a two-on-one situation. Dustin even resorts to blading to try to get over. We are outside the UTC Arena, Chattanooga, Tennessee, the talk of the town around the world. It's Halloween Havoc, and it's just a few hours away. Hopefully, we're going to get a chance to talk to some of the stars here that are involved in some of these great matchups. First of all, we see Cactus Jack and Abdullah the Butcher. Cactus Jack, welcome to Halloween Big Bang Havoc. I can't really think of two people more, well, more suited for a Chamber of Horrors match than... Abdullah the Butcher and Big Mac. Cactus Jack. It's, it's, oh my gosh. Cactus Jack and Abdullah the Butcher, they're ready. Believe me, they are ready for the Chamber of Horrors match. The other question on everybody's mind is, who is the WCW Phantom? A lot of people asking that question, and as I said, hopefully by meeting some of the stars here a little early, perhaps we'll find out. I see now making their way, it's the Diamond Stud, also in that Chamber of Horrors match, along with Diamond Dallas Page. Welcome. I got the parking cars now, bitch off. Let's go. Good. See ya. Not a lot to say from Dallas Page and the Diamond Set. I'm sure the Diamond Set has got a lot on his mind. Flying Brian Pillman gets a shot at the very first light heavyweight championship belt here at Halloween Havoc. It is going to be excitement. Now making their way, I see it's Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes. Welcome to Halloween Havoc, Barry Windham. Yeah, 
I can't away you. Wait a minute. 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 Wait a Injured at the hands of Art Anderson, Dustin Rhodes, they're making their way to the hospital. In July, the impossible happens. Ric Flair leaves the promotion when he cannot come to terms with Jim Hurd. Even worse for WCW, he is the champion, the world champion, and departs with the championship belt, which he owns as it was given to him by Jim Crockett before Crockett sells to Turner. That's when they had the changeover from the original NWA title to the big gold belt, which we see to this very day. The first pay-per-view after Flair's departure is the July 14th Great American Bash. Fans expressed their displeasure by chanting, We Want Flair, during the entire show. WCW would hear that chant, and for the next year and a half, they would suffer through, We Want Flair. The total package, Lex Luger, is given the championship belt after defeating Barry Windham in a cage match. But since he didn't defeat Ric Flair, his credibility was damaged. The Oz experiment is deemed a failure. Shocker, huh? As he jobs to Ron Simmons, but the Dustin push continues. Dustin Rhodes continues on in WCW as he is the sole survivor in an elimination match between himself and the Southern Boys, which consisted of Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers, against the Freebirds. The show is extremely weak with a scaffold match between PN News, yes, PN News on a scaffold, somebody call my mama, and Eaton against Austin and Taylor. Poor Steve, huh? Big Josh took on Black Blood, El Gigante, pinning one-man gang, and a cage match between Arn Anderson and Paulie Dangerously against Rick Steiner and Missy Hyatt. Basically, Steiner wrestled alone because Missy wasn't allowed to wrestle men by the Athletic Commission. By this point, the promotion is floundering. The Wrestling Observer Newsletter reported that the higher-ups at World Championship Wrestling felt that Dusty has not helped turn around the promotion. It's hard not to, not, not to disagree with that, huh? They respond by limiting Dusty's television appearances. WCW suffers further embarrassment when Ric Flair signs with the World Wrestling Federation. And the championship belt that they have been using for three years for the world title appears on World Wrestling Federation programming. Flair is stripped of the NWA title and eventually sells the belt back to WCW. Well, when Rick did that, that's, an, that's just another one of those issues... That's that's when. See, I, I have I have two opinions of Rick. I grew up from from the time I was about uh, from twelve years old till now. You know, I've known Rick. So I, so there I was. You know, I was a teenager. You know, I was working out and training at Rick's house. We lived one house apart. You know, Blackjack and Rick. Hmm. You know, we got there's one house between us. You know, I I got to drive his limos sometimes. You know, and, and I would train with him, and my old man would walk down to his house, and we train, and we'd all train together. That's when I'm doing the 1500 right. squats. So I mean, Flair was really impressed with that. You know, because what we did is then they got to where they were timing me. 
when I was doing them. See how fast I could do 1,500. So I, I mean, man, just painful, you know, working out. But Rick, Rick has, you know, he always lands on his feet. And and I guess, you know, I, I do too. You know, I've been, I, I don't know if you call it luck or you call it, you know, just just being able to roll with the punches. But, you know, you got to stick in there. And, and, and when you do that, sometimes you have to take advantage of, of people. And I was, I was one of the people that when he left, you know, what I was saying, you know, is you, for years, groomed people for the, for the championship, you know, for the world belt. And it was about, I think it was about two weeks before it was supposed to take place. That's not the one with Cage Matthews? Yeah. That I was supposed to, you know, I was supposed to take the belt from Flair. And then we would, you know, we'd go around and I probably would have put it back on him, you know, after a while. But he wasn't happy. And he left with the belt and, you know, uh, you know the things that, that they did with the belt up in the WWF. And it was just, they really, they really just abused, you know, what, what that championship meant. And, and where the personal part came in there was just that Rick wouldn't do it for me you know there's kind of an unwritten code you know that you know it's 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 uh, it's not really spoken but but you're supposed to do the right thing and that was when Rick left and he 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 broke the he broke the chain of the way that the NWA championship and and then I guess it was Maybe it was maybe it was combined later. I think it was, but anyway, that's when he broke the chain of the way that business was supposed to be handled. Do you think it was because he was put in position by Jim Hurd and he had to do a power play by taking the belt over? Or do you think he still could have passed the torch to? It? Well, I, I don't know anybody that got along with Jim Hurd. You know, like I said, you know his 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 practices with people is. Uh, uh, to say the least, no, that's okay. Go leave a message. Uh, he wasn't a people person, so I'm sure that Rick probably had contract problems with him. You know, Rick wanted to be at a point where uh, I'll let this thing quit ringing. I think only two more. There we are. <laughs> anyway, Rick, uh, I believe, like you said, you know, it was a power play. But he handled it. He handled it wrong. But jumping ahead, you know, he was able to come back. But Vince, you know, they 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 went up there and they just they abused, you know, they, they abused that and they really ruined the reputation of what that was. So WCW had to create a new World Heavyweight Championship. So that was when you know Luger and I did the thing and. Because of losing Flair, you know, a top heel, that Luger was in the position to where, you know, they told me that uh, uh, the people that were there said, "Man, you know, we know that it's supposed to be your turn, you know, but with with the way things have happened, you know, we just we need Luger to do it." And I said, "Fine, you know, hey, let's do it. I'm not worried about it." So there. You know, I put Luger over with the thing, you know, with Harley right there, and, I, and 
as as I remember, you know, I don't think it was a you know any kind of a, you know questionable finish. I think I did it, you know, outright for him. Right. And and you know that's what I always believed. You know, was trying to when you're in the ring, you know, you got to take care of business. Once you're once you're out of the ring and you're in the dressing rooms, you know, anything can happen. But that's why that's why it's it's pro wrestling. You know, it's you know sometimes you, sometimes you gotta you gotta really fight in the ring, and sometimes sometimes you can just just walk through something. And and then that was one of those deals where Flair left, and he just he kind of threw things into an uproar. You know, to where it was like it was a mess and it had to be straightened out quick. Now, with Ole Anderson gone, some of the people he got rid of returned, such as Cactus Jack, who immediately is put in a program with Sting. Jack attacks Sting after his U.S. title defense against Johnny B. Bad on the September Clash Fall Brawl, the first time Fall Brawl was used under the Clash banner. Jack elbow drops Sting from the second turnbuckle to the floor. Later in the show, Sting returns the favor by attacking Jack. The wild brawl includes Sting hip-tossing Jack from the ramp to the concrete floor. Unbelievably, Cactus would get up and continue brawling to the back. The fall brawl clash also has some wrestling on it too, not just hardcore action, as the enforcers, Arn Anderson and Larry Zbysko, defeat Rick Steiner and Bill Kazmier in the finals of the World Tag Team Title Tournament. A light heavyweight title is introduced, but the division gets off to a bad start as Morton takes on Mike Graham is one of the matches for the belt on the Clash. It is overshadowed by the other match between Pillman and Bad Street. It would be Morton versus Pillman for the title at the next pay-per-view. Cactus Jack and Abdullah the Butcher were put together as a tag team. They would be participants in an awful gimmick match at Halloween Havoc. We all have talked about before on Beyond the Bell, the Chamber of Horrors match. They were teamed with the Diamond Stud and Big Van Vader against the Steiner, Sting, and El Gigante. It takes place in a cage with Halloween props, and the object was to put one of your opponents in the electric chair and turn it on. We discussed it in further detail when we talked about the best or worst and or worst of Halloween Havoc, huh? Abdullah the Butcher gets the honors, of course, of going in the chair, and sparks fly when the lever is pulled. It was really bad. We discussed it on that previous episode of Beyond the Bell. If you look closely, the lever falls as Jack goes to reach it, and nothing happens, of course, until Jack pulls the lever back up and then pushes it back down, and then the sparks fly. It is the night of bad gimmicks as Big Josh and PN News battle the Creatures, which was Joey Mags and Johnny Rich. Yes, Joey Mags returns. And a wrestler is brought out under the name of the Halloween Phantom. During the Phantom's match, he uses a very familiar-looking reverse neckbreaker on Tom Zink to get the win. A ravishing one, you could say. Later, Paulie dangerously reveals the Phantom to be ravishing Rick Rude, as the Dangerous Alliance is born. One of the greatest groups Welcome ever back, ladies assembled. and gentlemen, to World Championship Wrestling. I'm here at ringside with the leader of the Dangerous Alliance. And I understand, Paul, you have an announcement to make 
regarding your organization. As everybody knows, the next big night in this sport occurs this Thursday night, Thanksgiving night, in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Omni Battle Stars 91. Now, I was originally going to make this announcement at the Omni, but I understand CNN was going to break the story, and I'm not going to give them the scoop. First of all, the first phase of our hostile takeover of World Championship Wrestling is complete. Please welcome the new United States Heavyweight Champion, Ravishing Rick Rude. Now, Mr. Rude and Ms. 007, Medusa and I, were discussing this. This Thursday night in the Omni, Ravishing Rick Rude will destroy what's left of Sting. But you see, Jim Ross, you're a big football fan. Now, if the New York Giants all week long were preparing for the Miami Dolphins and the NFL said, yeah, now you're going to face the Pittsburgh Steelers, would that be fair? No. See, that doesn't happen in any other sport but wrestling. I'll tell you why. Because Jim Hurd and the committees and the board of directors like to give wrestlers the shaft. Two victims of this shaft have come to Rick Rude, Medusa, and I looking for legal advice because WCW says, oh yeah, forget about Barry Windham, we're going to put Ricky Steamboat in the match. And that's why they're no longer the World Tag Team Champions. Please welcome the newest members of the Dangerous Alliance, Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco. isn't it now this thursday night in the omni the rightful world tag team champions arn anderson and larry zabisco ms 007 medusa myself the chief executive officer of the dangerous alliance and the man that crushed the hopes of all the little stingers ravishing rick rude the united states heavyweight champion will have the pleasure of watching Flying Brian learn the most stunning wrestling lesson of his life because he will step in the ring with the world's greatest athlete and newest member of the Dangerous Alliance, the world's TV champion, stunning Steve Austin. You're sounding quite a lineup here, Paul. It's not a lineup, it's not an army, it's not a stable, and it's not a family. It's an alliance of businessmen who will bring WCW down to its knees. You know, Jim Ross, Lex Luger, Medusa, Rick Rude, and myself were not the only people in on the plan to set up Sting. See, there was a man, very close friend of Sting's. He said, Sting. Go in the ambulance and go to the hospital. You got plenty of time, man. Hey, Sting, if they're going to ring the bell for your match, don't worry about it, Sting. I'll delay the match. Please welcome one of Sting's best friends and a little Stinger himself. Ladies and gentlemen, beautiful Bobby Eaton. I'm looking at you, and you're starting to sweat. You're starting to say to yourself, Sting and everybody else are in just a little bit of trouble. You see, WCW has had a lot of bodyguards. They've had a lot of hitmen. But they've never had a man that's so disgustingly sick that while another man holds a hand in a car door, that he would be sick enough to crunch that hand with the car door and enjoy the sound of the bone crunching.
That's why Larry Zabisco is now being called by us the Cruncher. He's the man that will step in front of the Dangerous Alliance and take care of all our dirty deeds because he's sick enough like Oliver North to do it. In the meantime, I'm going to show you what power is all about. WCW says, hey, no more Barry Windham. In comes Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Want to play that game with us? We're going to play it with you. Jim Ross, let me explain something to you. Between Bobby Eaton and myself, we have held the World Tag Team titles six times. Nobody knows more about tag team wrestling than myself and Bobby Eaton. So in the Omni on Thanksgiving night, we're going to... Here we go. Here we go. Let's keep our composure here, gentlemen. Let's keep our composure here, gentlemen. Keep your hands together now. Let me tell you something, squirt. Thanksgiving night at the Omni. You bring Anderson down there. You bring Zabisco down there. As a matter of fact, Paulie, you make any substitution that you want because Dustin and I don't care. If you want these belts, you come down there Thanksgiving night and you come get them. All right. Thanksgiving night. Let's keep our composure here. Bobby Eaton and myself will come get them. We're going to take you and you to new heights you never believed imaginable, pal. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we still got a big main event still to come. What a night it's going to be in the Omni at 8 o'clock Thanksgiving night. World Championship Wrestling presents the Sports Spectacular of the Season, Starcade 91. Anything goes in wrestling's ultimate challenge of skill, luck, and survival. Starcade 91, Battle Bowl, the Lethal Lottery, December 29th, live, only on pay-per-view. Call your local cable operator for availability. Other action included Steve Austin against Dustin, and a time limit draw for the TV title. Pillman defeated Morton for the light heavyweight championship. The enforcers retained the tag team titles from the Patriots. And Luger defeated Ron Simmons for the world title in a two out of three falls match. Welcome back to the TBS, everyone. In the main event, Jim Ross and Missy Hyatt back with you in just a few moments. We'll be taking you to some highlights from this past Sunday's Great American Bash pay-per-view in Baltimore. Missy, I know that you were quite pleased with the outcome last Sunday. Well, I sure was, because I told everybody what I was going to do, and I did it. And you know, they love me in Baltimore. Well, I would say that the reaction was somewhat mixed, but be that as it may, she was very successful last Sunday. And so was the total package. Lex Luger, here are the highlights. And ladies and gentlemen, the following historic confrontation, it is for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship between the top two contenders. Introducing first, the number two contender, from Sweetwater, Texas. He weighs 278 pounds. Barry Windham. He may be number two in your program, but he's number one in the hearts of many fans that are here in the Baltimore arena. From Chicago, Illinois, weighing 292 pounds. 
He currently holds the United States Heavyweight Championship, the total package. But who does? As these thousands of fans look on, their ovation brought evidence that Luger will be the favorite in this contest. The United States Heavyweight Champion is the number one contender. He has been very active in defending the U.S. title. And uh, he has not had too many opportunities in the last year or so, Tony, to wrestle for the World's Heavyweight Championship. My goodness. Kicked him in the face, and down goes Luger. Wyndham up on top, a big elbow, but nobody there. Wyndham went for an elbow off the top rope. Remember, he stands six feet six. But when he got to the canvas, that's all he found. Luger was gone. Backdrop. Good elevation by Luger. And a clothesline. The big man now opening up on the number two contender in the world, Barry Windham. And coming down the rampway is that's Harley Race on the right. Mr. Hughes on the left. What's this all about? I have no idea. Harley Race, a multiple-time world champion. And Mr. Hughes, who I, is the bodyguard of the York Foundation. Now, are they... What's the deal? Are they with Barry Windham? No! Harley Race is over there talking to Luger. WCW World's Heavyweight Championship with that Harley Race pile driver and there's Mr. Hughes I'm somewhat baffled about their presence speaking of Hughes and Race you are looking at the new WCW World Heavyweight Champion the total package Lex Luger the total package has got a message for the rest of the world. Exactly right, Harley. A shot for around the world just moments ago. What we're talking about, there's no frivolity here. What we're talking about is a satisfaction and a job well done, a job long overdue. What we're talking about is the past right here has been forgotten. New histories being made. This is the dawning of a totally new era of the total package, Lex Luger, I have arrived. Get used to this face. Get used to this body, because there's nothing like it. The total package, Lex Luger, is going to establish a sphere of dominance this sport has never seen. Let this be a message to all wannabe wrestlers, all star wrestlers of now, all has-been wrestlers, because the total package, Lex Luger, has finally arrived. There's been an attitude adjustment, so to speak. Barry Windham received an attitude adjustment like any other wrestler who stands in my path. There's a new frame of mind for Lex Luger. The physical tools are always there. I just had to be made to believe in myself and my abilities and grab it by the throat. And that's what I did just moments ago. Putting a man into a frame of mind is the thing that this man liked. 
It's there now. The total package is all together. About three weeks later, the clash of the year takes place with a major surprise. Dustin's partner, Barry Windham, was injured for his title match against the Enforcers. Dustin and Barry come out with a man covered with a cloth and a lizard head. He removes the cloth to reveal Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This was the second time in less than three years that Steamboat was a surprise mystery partner. The Enforcers are great in their reactions. Arn Anderson is heard saying, Not Ricky Steamboat, a la Nature Boy Ric Flair. And the match is very good as the Enforcers bump like crazy for Steamboat, ending with Rhodes and Steamboat as the new tag team champions. The show also has a hot angle with Sting attacking, or getting attacked, I should say, as it's revealed who originally paid Cactus Jack to attack Sting at the September Clash. Lex Luger attacks Sting as he is distracted by the Dangerous Alliance. Or should I say, Medusa of the Dangerous Alliance, their female member. This sends Sting to the hospital with a knee injury. Sting is supposed to defend his U.S. title against Rick Rude later in the show. The angle plays out that if Sting can't wrestle, Dangerously snuck into the contract that Rude will win the title on a forfeit explaining why Medusa helped Luger earlier. Sting manages to get back to the arena and wrestle the match. The heat during the match is incredible, as Rude, with the help of Dangerously, wins the title. None of the other titles change hands on the show, including the TV champ Austin over PN News. Light heavyweight champ Brian Pillman defeated Johnny B. Bad, and Luger successfully defended the title against Rick Steiner. Later that month, Diamond Dallas Page debuts as a wrestler, deciding to wrestle after his managing and announcer's jobs were cut back. Who would have thought DDP would be as successful as he was in professional wrestling? The year ends at Starcade with a new dusty concept called the Lethal Lottery, which I actually liked. I would still would like to see to this day be brought back. It was actually a fun concept of teams being drawn at random. It's kind of used today at TNA, Impact Wrestling, but not to the effect of how it was originally done in WCW. They don't promote it right, and it w- they put random guys together on TNA, and sometimes it sort of makes sense, most times it doesn't. You had the Freebirds on different teams in the first match, the feuding Richard Morton and Dustin Rhodes as a team later, just like Tom Zink and Terrence Taylor. But the most fun matchers to see were Ricky Steamboat and Todd Champion against Cactus Jack and Buddy Lee Parker, and the match between Pillman and Eaton against Sting and Abdullah the Butcher. Just because of the diversity and the, so the opposite teammates that were seen inside the squared circle. In the first one, Buddy Lee Parker is announced as Cactus Jack's partner and is attacked by Jack's regular partner, Abdullah, who doesn't understand the concept. It was actually quite funny. Jack wrestles the match by himself as Buddy Lee crawls down the ramp to the ring as the crowd chants his name. Buddy is tagged in as soon as he arrives to the ring and is pinned before he suffers more abuse at the hands of Cactus Jack for losing the match. The second match has Abdullah ignoring that he's supposed to be teaming with Sting and attacking the guy he's been feuding with for months. Pillman turns on Eaton so Sting isn't isn't in a three-on-one situation and Eaton is pinned. The show ends with all the winners of the tag team match competing in a battle royal. 
which is won by The Stinger. At Starcade, Brian Pillman was no longer the light heavyweight champion as he lost to Jushin Thunder Liger a few days earlier. Nice concept, like the idea, and it could create new storylines resulting from the tag team matches. Or you can create a brand new tag team from two competitors that you never thought would team together or didn't even have a reason to team together. 1991 hadn't been much better for the promotion, and Jim Hurd was feeling the heat. Finally, Hurd had enough of being undermined by the bookers, bad press, bad ratings, and low house show, house show attendance. He tried to bring a corporate structure to the Federation, but the bookers he hired, Ole and Dusty, would bury any wrestler that Hurd hired by squashing them in matches against wrestler, wrestlers hired by the bookers. Jim Hurd resigned. He finally resigned in mid-January of 1992, replaced by Kip Fry. Fry was only in charge for just a couple of months, but during this time, he apparently had permission from his bosses to spend some money. He signed Dallas Page to a contract and gave out some raises. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to World Championship Wrestling here on TBS, a very special edition of our broadcast, because in less than one hour, it's Super Brawl 2. You still have a time to be a part of it by calling your local cable company. I'm Jim Ross, along with Jesse the Body Ventura. And, Body, we are less than one hour from the biggest wrestling event in history. Jim Ross, I am pumped up. You know, it's been a long time since I've felt the butterflies down in the pit of my stomach. But I'm feeling it now because it's been almost two years since Jesse the Body Ventura has gone live, live on television doing the sport that he loves and what's dear to his heart, and that is WCW Championship Wrestling, Super Brawl. Fans, you have the opportunity to be a part of this magnificent event by calling your local cable company and ordering Super Brawl 2. And one of the most eagerly anticipated matchups will be for the WCW World's Heavyweight Championship. The total package, Lex Luger, will defend against Sting. Here's how they got to Super Brawl. Tonight's confrontation for the WCW World's Heavyweight Championship features two very talented former friends in the most eagerly anticipated title bout in recent memory. Lex Luger, the champion, is aptly nicknamed the Total Package, and for good reason. The 6-foot-5-inch, 295-pounder has been a wrestling champion since his 12th day in the sport. The former pro football lineman obtained the services of seven-time world champion Harley Race last summer, and promptly won the WCW World Heavyweight title at the Great American Bash. Race said, now's the time. Race was a master of the pile driver. Hardy Race said, now's the time. He's got him up on the pile driver. And there he, he planted him. Luger with the pile driver. He's hooked the leg. And Luger wins it. Luger's challenger tonight is the most popular athlete in WCW history, Sting. This explosive athlete from Venice Beach, California, with his little Stinger supporting him, has experienced the exhilaration of winning the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Sting's world title victory also occurred at the Great American Bash in 1990. He's got both arms tucked. Can he get him over? with all he's got and the challenger is 
championship of the world. The Stinger has done it. The Stinger has done it. Tonight's participants started last year as tag team partners at Super Brawl 1. Luger and Sting joined forces to meet the Steiner brothers in a tremendous dream tag team bout. Their friendship and teamwork was never stronger. Step on your toes right there, but brother, payback is, I mean, I ain't gonna say it, but payback was payback. Got oh, look at the strength. Luger military pressing the yeah. Steiner, and here comes the Stinger. Awesome. Death pin. Close guy. He took it over. Here, watch Sting. He'll take a chance here. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Oh gosh. High risk. Brother. As the year progressed, Sting began receiving a series of gift boxes from an unknown benefactor. The Stinger's first surprise was delivered in the Show Me State of Missouri. And then, at the nationally televised Clash of the Champions in September, Sting's second surprise was delivered. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your winner, Oh, wait, it's Captain Jack! Captain Jack just ran through Theodore Long! He's attacking Sting! Captain Jack, above us here! Hey, get him off the head! He's right on top! Watch this guy! Oh, my God! The physical challenges presented by Abdullah the Butcher and Cactus Jack were far removed from the surprise contained in the third box. What is it? What is it? Oh my, it's not a monster. Oh, she looks like a real killer to me, man. By this time, Sting and his legions of little stingers desperately wanted to know who was behind this mysteriously bizarre ordeal? At the November Clash of the Champions, Sting and a national television audience found out who it was that wanted the Stinger eliminated from WCW. Luger did his best to re-injure his new rival's knee and almost succeeded. These two fantastic athletes will finally meet tonight at Super Brawl 2. But only one can walk away as the WCW World's Heavyweight Champion. Will the total package continue to dominate, or will tonight be the night that Sting once again realizes his dream of being the best in the world? Super Brawl is just right around the corner now. It's going to be the biggest night of the Stinger's career, probably the biggest night of my life, period. Everyone's talking just the same way. It's not just me. It is a big match. Lex Luger, Mr. Stoneface, Mr. Businessman, Sting over here. Mr. Emotional, Mr. Painted Face. Yeah, that's me, the guy who's taken the world title very, very serious. Tonight in Milwaukee, you have the opportunity to witness live and living color right there at the Mecca. The biggest confrontation in WCW history, the biggest event between the true greatest athletes in WCW history. We're talking about the world's heavyweight title. We're talking about Sting. We're talking about the total package. We're talking about all the gold. Right there on the line, there's a long line of title defenses for me, Sting. This will be your last shot at the title. You better make the best of it. 
Both these magnificent athletes certainly seem to be focused, but Jess, you've been in championship matches in your illustrious career. What's going through the mind, not only uh, of the challenger, but the champion as well? Well, what's happening right now is this. They can't prepare anymore. The preparation is over. It's game time right now. And the champion, Lex Luger, has the advantage because it's very simple. You've got to beat the champ, Jim Ross. He can also save his title if he gets disqualified. That's an option the champion has. Sting, he's got to go out. He's got to reach down. He's got to give more than he's ever given in his life because he is the one, as I said, that must beat the champ. Sting must wrestle a very offensive-minded matchup where Luger has the opportunity to wrestle defensively if he chooses. Absolutely. Fans, and you can be a part of it by calling your local cable company and being a part of Super Brawl 2. We're less than one hour away, and when we come back, We'll focus on the World Tag Team Championship involving the Steiner Brothers and the Dangerous Alliance. The first clash of 1992 was held in Topeka, Kansas, and led with the match between the Steiners against Vader and Mr. Hughes. Vader and Hughes were being managed by Harley Race, as was the World Heavyweight Champion, Total Package Lex Luger. Diamond Dallas Page wrestled on his first clash, losing to PN News, as did his new tag team partner, Vinny Vegas. You knew him before as Oz, or should we say Kevin Nash, who defeated Thomas Rich. The most fun match of the evening was a Falls Count Anywhere contest between Cactus Jack and Van Hammer. They ended up fighting in an outside arena set up for a rodeo, complete with livestock. Yes, I said it, fans, livestock. According to the storyline, it was there for a rodeo later that week, but Mick Foley's book indicated that it was a work, of course. Livestock fans. Abdullah shows up and tries to hit Jack with a metal shovel, but Hammer takes the blow instead and is pinned. Jack and Abby continued to fight, knocking on the scene interviewer, Missy Hyatt, into a horse trough filled with water, and it was 18 degrees outside. The Dangerous Alliance was well represented on the show as two tag matches headlined the card. Dustin Windham and Simmons defeated Anderson, Zabisco, and Eaton with Sting and Steamboat beating Austin and Rude. Great card, great talent on this, this spectacular clash. Later... We saw the last major show booked by Dusty take place on February 29th of 1992. It was the Super Brawl 92 show. It opened with what is considered by some people as WCW's best opening match on a pay-per-view ever as Brian Pillman regained the light heavyweight title from Jushin Thunder Liger. In a 17-minute classic Ron Simmons continued his winning ways by defeating Cactus Jack. Wyndham and Dustin beat Austin and Zabisco, while Anderson and Eaton kept the World Tag Team titles when the Steiners were disqualified in their matchup. Rude pinned Steamboat in the U.S. title match, while Sting defeated Luger for the World title. It was Luger's WCW farewell as he went to the World Bodybuilding Federation, which was led by Vince McMahon. He left for the WBF right after the show. He could not wrestle until his WCW no-compete clause expired. An angle is done after the show with the Dangerous Alliance disrupting Sting's victory press conference, setting up a showdown. However, Dusty wouldn't get a chance to continue it. 
Dusty was demoted to commentator, and Kip Fry turned over the promotion to Cowboy Bill Watts not long after Super Bowl. And the Cowboy rides in in our next chapter of WCW 101. We're getting guaranteed contracts. Huge for that day and time. And it was a good feeling knowing that you were going to make at least this much money. Not only did they pay them, but they paid them such huge salaries that most of them were their new agents and a clause that they had final say in what they did. I think that him knowing that he was surrounded in shark-infested waters made him depend on himself too much. But uh, the industry suffered. That was it. That was poof. That was done. There were mixed signals sometimes thrown back at Dusty. The issue was there was no commitment with upper management at Turner to market the product. They tried to have lawyers run it. They tried to have accountants run it. They tried to have a building manager run it. They tried to have a cameraman run it. They tried to have everybody run it. But they didn't want a wrestler to run it because they didn't think they were smart enough. They thought in a different perspective, and uh, it hamstrung any other bookers that would come in that were from a wrestling background. I fought as long as I could until I just said, you know, there's nothing you can do, nothing. They didn't really want it, and they didn't care how much money I was making. When they say they lost money, it was a crock. It was just poorly run, and it's not. I'm not bitter. Obviously, you can tell I'm still in our industry. All they want to do is put a product on the air that would generate dollars, and that's where it began and ended, period. In one day and out the next. From there on, I seen the the whole change come and happen, which I knew was coming. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. I'm pretty stoked. A friend of mine told me about Gazelle.com. They paid me cash for my used iPhone. Cash I used to get my new iPhone. Before Gazelle, I would just keep my old phones in this drawer. Gazelle made it easy. Gazelle made it so easy. Shipping was free. Gazelle paid me fast. My phone was worth 150 bucks. What? Do yourself a favor. Get on your little www. Gazelle.com. You can find out a gazelle. It is a website. You're listening to the Retro Wrestling Podcast, Beyond the Bell. You can listen to Beyond the Bell on iTunes, Player.fm, the SNS Radio Network, Podbay.fm, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and our official website, btbcast.com. Connect socially on Facebook and Twitter at btbcast. Watch retro videos on our official YouTube channel, btbcast network. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be sent to contact at btbcast.com. BeCast.com. Go old school with Beyond the Bell. As WCW would wake up from its dream period, we close the books on Chapter 4, Next Edition. Chapter 5 presents a new era in WCW at the time, scrambling, fighting to compete with the WWF. The Cowboy rides in as Cowboy Bill Watts is put in charge, leading to the first ever African-American World Heavyweight Champion. Plus, spin the wheel, make the deal. All this and more on Chapter 5 of WCW 101. 
So my old school family, that wraps up chapter four as we get ready for chapter five in our long story course of WCW 101, the history of world championship wrestling. The Cowboy rides in on our next edition. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Bell. Remember to always keep it old school, my friends.